Alexa. Hey, Hello. welcome to Monsters Lounge. Thank you. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but my background is still a shark, but oh. a different shark. And it's going to continue to be sharks until I'm forever. tired of looking at sharks. So forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why there's a shark in the woods. But you're nice and cozy in a warm little cabin over there. Yeah, with four fireplaces. Hmm. I nice. get cold. Yeah, well, that's understandable. And there's a beautiful uh, forest also behind us, which is very appropriate because we're talking about a little bit of a forest creature today. Oh, like gnomes? Yeah, like no, except for not. Oh. Except for it's a Bigfoot episode. Oh! I know. <laughs> I know. I'm very excited about this. Um, our guest tonight is a cryptozoologist and paranormal guy who specializes in researching the Bigfoot Sasquatch phenomena. He's got a ridiculous amount of time uh, within the pursuit of this. It's like something like 40 years. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of time. Uh, field research, investigations, um, and he's one of the founding members of the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society. Uh, I know he's got a really cool event that he's, that he's been doing, which is camping with Bigfoot. Um, in my mind, we're making s'mores with Bigfoot, but I feel yeah. like that's not entirely accurate. But please help me give a warm welcome okay. to Eric Altman. Yay! 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 <laughs> there he is. I'm so glad you're as excited as I am right now. <laughs> oh, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. It's oh. okay if you're faking. That's that's fine. <laughs> oh. oh no! <laughs> it's past my bedtime. Uh, well, my apologies, too, but, you know. But thank you. But yes, we appreciate the late night visit. What? I feel like Conan. Nice. <laughs> so do I. I don't yeah, look I like him, but I feel like him. <laughs> Same. So right away, I'm going to jump into this because I talk about this sometimes, and I'm pretty sure it's a real and true thing and a real and true story, but I might be proven completely wrong, in which case then I'll just hide in the background for a little while. But <laughs> true or false, Roosevelt had... A Bigfoot report. Yes and no. Awesome. Oh. Okay, so I'm so I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, um, halfway there. He wrote about an encounter that it, he heard from a, a grizzled old trapper named Bauman, and supposedly this happened in the 1850s. And then Roosevelt wrote about it in his book, The Wilderness Hunter, in the late 1880s. Maybe early 1880s. It's the date's kind of fuzzy with me, but he wrote about it in a book called *The Wilderness Hunter*. And uh, the story that he was told by this trapper, and he has no way to know if it was true or not. It was just kind of a secondhand thing. Back in the 1850s, this guy named Bauman and his trapping partner decided to head into southern Idaho. They were warned to stay out of this area. They were warned, "Don't go in there; it's cursed." But he knew that there was some good trapping, beaver trapping in that area, and he wanted to take his partner in there. So they they uh, rode their horses until they could ride their horses no longer. They um, let them graze in a pasture and decided to hike in on foot, which they did. And they went into this very dark um, forested area in southern Idaho that they were told to stay away from. And when they arrived, they found a place that they could set up a, a lean-to, build a lean-to, and set up a little campsite. And uh, their plan was to spend the next couple of weeks in this area, trapping, uh, getting as many beaver pelts as they could. And uh, the first night they got their lean-to built, the camp set up, uh, they had a visitor. Um, Some kind of large creature, beast, whatever you want to call it, started uh, coming to the the tree line edge, uh, which they were camped at, and started pacing back and forth and screaming and howling and, and making a god-awful noise. And it kind of unnerved uh, Bowen and his partner. And uh, that was the first night. And the second night, it came back again. And this time, it came right to the mouth of the lean-to. And uh, Bowen, not knowing what it was, he just saw this huge hulking figure standing in his the doorway to the lean-to, he grabbed the rifle and shot at it, scared it off, it ran into the woods and disappeared. This continued to happen for several nights in a row, and um, they decided at that point, you know, hey, maybe it's a good idea that we just get out of here. This isn't safe. This creature's coming around and trying to scare us out of here, so maybe we should leave. 
And that final day, um, they decided to go out and gather up their traps and, um, you know, pack up their camp and, and head back to the, the meadow where they left their horses and just leave the, this valley. And um, it was sunny outside. It was a beautiful day. So Bauman and his partner decided, well, the sun's in the sky. This thing's only coming around at night. Let's split up. We can save some time, gather our traps. So you go back. He sent his partner back to the campground campsite to pack up their things and they could be ready when Bauman returned and they just hike out and be done with it. So they split up and Bauman went out and collected all the traps and the partner went back to the campsite and uh, started packing things up, getting everything ready to leave. Well, it, as the day progressed, uh, it took a little longer for Bauman to actually gather up the traps. Uh, the sun was starting to set and he figured I better get back to the campsite before um, it gets dark and we're stuck here for another night. So as he's approaching the campsite, he sees smoke in the distance from the campfire and he calls out for his trapping partner and there's no reply. And he calls out again for the trapping partner as he got closer and still no reply. And finally, when he got to the campsite, he saw the body of his trapping partner over a log, neck broken and huge fang marks in the side of the neck and these huge human-like footprints all around the body. And being completely freaked out and just shocked at what he see, Bauman grabbed as much as he could, hightailed it out of the valley, um, got to the horses, and left the area never to return. He left the body of his partner back up on that, that campsite way in that, that valley. And uh, Roosevelt was so intrigued by what he heard that he wrote about it in his book, The Wilderness Hunter. And that's probably one of the oldest documented reports and one of the few documented reports of a Bigfoot or some kind of wild, hairy, wild man or whatever you want to call it, attacking and killing somebody. And uh, it's a pretty well-known story among the Bigfoot community. And uh, you can still find the book if you go on Amazon and, and type in Wilderness Hunter by Teddy Roosevelt. And you can read the, uh, the true encounter by Bauman and that uh, Roosevelt claims he was told. Well, now that I've added that to my reading list. Uh, <laughs> so I would think because there's just, there was be so much uncharted territory and obviously so much wilderness that, that we'd hear more, I don't know, stories of, of these encounters from explorers just, you know, back in the exploring age of people just kind of going out and like, that's something that you could do for a living uh, was just, I'm going to go explore which sounds great, but are there any other like reports that you can think of that, that come from like bigger, bigger explorers? Um, there was a, a wilderness adventurer um, by the name of David Thompson. And in the early 1800s, around 1811, 1812, somewhere in that time frame, he was exploring Canada and the parts of Northern um, North America and he was tracking back and forth uh, across the continent and he was mapping routes and exploring and, you know, making pathways for settlements and for trade routes and that sort of thing. And on one of his, his travels, he came across very large human-like footprints in the snow and he measured them. They were over 14 inches and he was very familiar that there were Native Americans, but in the snow, it was very unlikely that they'd be walking around barefoot. So he uh, he documented that. That's one of the probably the earliest documented reports that I'm aware of, of any of the wilderness explorers or um, the adventurers, if you will, that uh, were traveling across the continent back and forth east to west. And uh, he has this great story about how he found them and it's nothing like he'd ever seen before. They resembled human tracks, but almost twice the size. And uh, he was quite impressed with it. And he, he talked to some of the native tribes that he would run into and share this information with them. And they were familiar with uh, these giants, uh, forest giants, if you will. And they told him about their stories that they had in their, their tribes and of the, the encounters with these wild men or wild tribes of the forest that they coexisted with. So there are these stories out there. Um, they're not as well documented as today's stories are, you know, because of, obviously social media, but they're, they're out there. There's a lot of great stories from the late 1800s and even into the early 19, 1920, 1930s 
Um, there's so many documented newspaper stories out there. And this is before Bigfoot actually became known as Bigfoot. They didn't have a name for it back then, uh, other than what some of the Native American tribes had for these creatures. And they basically called it the wild man or wild woman, wild person of the forest. And that's what was referred to in a lot of these newspaper articles from the late 1800s all the way up into 1950, I think it was 1958, um, October of 1958, when Bigfoot actually got its name, Bigfoot. So all these old documented newspaper articles you can find out there, you can find a lot of stories like, like Teddy Roosevelt's story, The Wilderness Hunter, about the Trapper Bowman. There's a lot of stories out there. If you just take the time and do some research, you can find them. I never considered that it wasn't always called Big Bigfoot. Uh, of course, there was an origin to the name, but I never thought about it. It's just always Bigfoot to me. Do you have a favorite story from back in the old newspapers that you just think about all the time? There's a bunch of them that really impress me. Um, two in particular, I'll share them of the, the abridged version of them. The Battle of the Mountain Devils or the, uh, the Eight Men of um, Ape Canyon at Mount St. Helens in Washington State. That happened in 1924 when Fred Beck and uh, four other prospectors were in the mountains. They had a cabin and they were prospecting for gold. And uh, they had several close encounters with these wild men of the forest. Uh, he called them mountain devils or, or mountain demons. And uh, he and his party shot at these creatures they took shots at them because they didn't know what they were. They'd never seen these things before, and they scared them. So they would shoot at them to try to drive them away. And eventually, the last night they were in that area, which is now known as Ape Canyon, uh, their cabin came under siege from these large, hair-covered, giant beasts that um, rained rocks down on the cabin from above the cliffs above the cabin. They tried to break in through the walls and through the door, and... Fred Beck and his uh, prospecting partners fought off these wild men by shooting through the walls and chinks of um, logs that had broken open. They were shooting through the holes in the walls and the front door. And the siege went on all night. These animals trying to break through the roof and through the walls and through the door. And one of these in his his book, and you can find his book actually on on Amazon as well. Um, it's called "I Fought the the Eight Men of Mount St. Helens." He talks about how one of these creatures reached through one of the openings between the logs and grabbed an axe and tried oh. to pull the axe out through the wall. And he actually had to turn the axe sideways so he could the creature couldn't get the axe out <laughs> through the opening. And it's a pretty interesting story. Um, he actually, the day after, the next morning, they went outside after everything quieted down. And they found very large rocks and boulders all around the, the cabin um, perimeter and large human-like footprints all around the cabin perimeter. And as they were looking around, they saw one of these hairy wild men up on a, a cliff above them that they shot at and hit, apparently hit it because it supposedly fell into a ravine. And at that point, Fred and his companions, they, they got out of Dodge and left all their mining and prospecting equipment there. They packed up what they could carry and they headed back down the mountain and got back to civilization. They reported the story to the newspaper as well as to the, um, the, the officials. They all went back up into the area. They saw the rocks. They saw the footprints. But he was discredited. Um, there were a lot of people said he made the story up and it was all fiction. And But there was something to it because they did see the rocks. They did see the footprints. They never saw any wild men up there. But uh, to this day, that, that area where his cabin stood... Uh, is now known as Ape Canyon in Mount St. Helens. And it's become a mecca, if you will, for people to travel to Washington State to, visit, to try to find where the cabin actually stood and to hike those trails up through uh, Mount St. Helens. It's a pretty interesting story. Yeah. And he had the right reaction. Let's leave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Get out of here right <laughs> away. It yeah. seems like sometimes, as a general rule, uh, explorers in, in, you know, even down to us, uh, hear these stories about like, hey, these lands are cursed, maybe you shouldn't go there, and then we immediately go there. It's human nature. Yeah. We're smart. <laughs> yeah. 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 I suppose it is. I don't know. If I'm hearing about a cursed land, I might not go. I'm just, I'm throwing that out there right now. I don't believe well, you. I think you would go. It really depends on what the uh, area looked like. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm stupid, so I would go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's what we do. We're yeah. idiots. Yeah. Uh, do you want to hear the other second favorite yes, older please. story? I'd love yes. to share it with you. 
um, there was a prospector named Albert Osman, and this happened also in 1924. And he went to the Toba Inlet in British Columbia to do some prospecting. He, he would talk to the natives and uh, he wanted to, to kind of get away from things and do some prospecting and camping. But they told him, don't go into this area because there are some strange animals there. It's haunted. Um, you might have bad luck if you go in there. So, again, another one of those stay out of this area. And, and of course, Albert went. When he arrived, he was dropped off by his guide, uh, a Native American, dropped off in a little canoe. And he had only the things on his back and a pack with he had a sleeping bag and his boots, a rifle. And that was really it. He had some some food and to, to kind of stay out there and camp. And um, while he was out hiking in the woods during the day, he would have a strange visitor come into the camp and um, go through his things, dump his pack out, uh, rifle through his um, his his clothing, um, try to go through his food. And at first he thought it was a bear. He thought it was a bear coming to his camp and going through his things. And, and he really never, he, he didn't take into consideration, you know, what the warnings he was given, but he just figured it's just a wild animal and, and left it at that. And this went on for several days. He'd leave the campground, the campsite for you know, a couple hours during the day to, to hike and explore. And he'd come back and find everything gone through and dumped and disheveled. And finally, on the third night of this happening, he decides, well, I'm going to find out what this is that's coming into my campground. I'm going to just go pretend to go to sleep. I'm going to put my boots in my at the bottom of my sleeping bag and see if this thing comes around while I'm here. And uh, he's laying in a sleeping bag after a few hours. Nothing showed up. And he just kind of dozed off. And he woke up. His, he was in a sleeping bag and covered his head. And he woke up to something carrying him through the forest something large <laughs> and he could tell it wasn't a bear. It was on two legs and it was actually carrying him for almost three hours up and down hills and through the forest and through really rough terrain. And finally, after three hours of being carried, he was dumped out onto the ground in this large ravine. And as he kind of looked around and tried to get his eyes adjusted to the darkness, he made out four shapes uh, human like shapes that were all kind of just, curiously staring at him and, and watching him and they were making these gurgling noises and grunts and growls and they had a, a language they were communicating with each other but he could tell these weren't human they were hair covered creatures and as it got lighter out he could tell there was a male and a female almost like a mother and father and two offspring like almost a brother and sister and he was kept captive by these four creatures for almost a week and, a week. Yeah, the the young young ones seemed very interested in him, and they would almost come over and try to pick at him and and play with him, and you know they would poke him, and you know, and, and he he was he didn't know what to do. He was just kind of like in shock. <laughs> what could you do? Yeah, yeah. And um, the the old man or the father seemed to keep him in this ravine, refused to let him leave. And um, while they're in, he's in this ravine, he's trying to think of how do I get out of here? I can't just stay with these things. What if they try to kill me? And eventually he came up with this idea after about a week of, um, he noticed that the wild man was always watching, the, the old man was always watching him, watching every move that he'd made, everything he did. So finally he decided that he was going to try to trick the old man into um, taking some of his chewing tobacco, his snuff. So what he did was he put some of the snuff in his mouth and he was like, hmm, oh, this is so good, mm, smiling and you know, <laughs> looking like he really enjoyed it. Well, finally, the, the old man, Bigfoot, came over, took the snuff off of him and dumped the whole can down its throat. And that was enough to set the old man off. He started rolling around on the ground, writhing in pain. Uh, if I remember correctly, he grabbed a, a pot of coffee that uh, Albert had made for himself and dumped that down its throat. <laughs> which burned and caused more chaos. And uh, Albert had his chance. He, he saw an opening for him to escape, and he did. He, he got out of there. He escaped. Um, the, uh, the younger of the Bigfoot chased after him, and he fired a couple shots at it and scared it off. He finally made it back to civilization, which was after several hours of running through the woods. He came across a logging crew and told him of his exploits and his captive uh, being held captive. And uh, that's the Albert Osman story. He even went as far as uh, swearing in front of a judge that this actually happened 
and signed an affidavit that he was kidnapped and held captive by a family of Bigfoot for seven days. One of the most terrifying things about that to me (laughs) is being led away for for three hours. There's no way I'm finding my way back. I I would be in the middle of nowhere, so lost, so scared. I'd be like, I guess I live here now. I don't know how to do anything. That's terrifying. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot more to the story. Um, there, even there's parts of the story that are a little suspicious. But um, he even talks about he had the suspicion that the old man had him there to mate with the daughter. Oh, oh, oh and, come on. Yeah. So, oh. and it was some pretty interesting I mean, side no notes judgments. to the story. Oh. But <laughs> come on. <laughs> but yeah, you, that's the abridged version. You can find right. the actual real story online and, and read in more detail of what Albert told and. It's a fascinating story. It's one of my favorite classic Bigfoot tales. And like like the um, the Bauman story and Ape Canyon, it's one of the classics that people just love to, to share. And even after almost 75, uh, almost 100 years now, people are still talking about those cases and referring to those cases. So they're pretty uh, pretty amazing stories. Yeah, that that last one with the carrying, like, first of all, what's going through your head for three hours as you're being carried, presumably like a baby, you know, like through the woods. You're not stopping at 7-Eleven on the way there. You're oh, in this oh, thing seems, three hours. There's, there's so many thoughts that I would have, but then also to discover that you're now a mating partner for the... <laughs> a real mm-hmm. old-fashioned <laughs> shotgun story? wedding. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine the dowry for that? <laughs> oh, God. Ooh, just a bunch of dead animals. Yeah. yeah. yeah I have a, a skunk for you right here. There you go. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, That's yay. exactly what I want. All this can be yours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the riches. Hmm. Oh, man. And then I just feel awful for the old man, Bigfoot, because snuff and then coffee. That's yeah. poor guy. I mean, he kidnapped the guy. It's fine. I know. I just still feel bad. <laughs> Are there any of the newer stories, like the things that we've heard, say, for example, you know, I know that there were some sightings and whatnot, like based out of Colorado, like over the past year that they got, you know, footage and whatnot. Are there any of these that are particularly intriguing to you? As I get older and the more time I spend with this, the less I am intrigued of these kinds of cases. And the reason being is because of AI Um, CGI, the ability to Photoshop, so many people putting out so much questionable content. I find it a lot of it, 95, maybe even 97% of it doesn't interest me because that's probably fake. It's probably made up. And my thinking, I've always been very skeptical about this subject. I've always, I have an open mind, of course, but very skeptical about a lot of what I, what I hear and what I investigate and what I experience. With all the technology that we have today, we should have crystal clear HD video of these things by now. And we don't. And what's usually put out on Facebook is blurry. It's fuzzy. It's a fleeting glimpse. And it really makes me question a lot of what's out there. Now, I don't discount that people are still seeing things because I still get reports. I still talk to a lot of eyewitnesses who seem very credible and they have no real reason to make it up. But a lot of the the videos that are put out there, a lot of the content that's put out there, I question simply because with everything the way it is today, it's so easy to fabricate things and make things up and, and just to get viewers and content and hits and subscribers, anything's possible. So a lot of the stuff that I put, that I see, I take with a grain of salt. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. Because um, you're still actively looking and investigating, doing doing research and, and whatnot. Is that primarily in Pennsylvania or are you are you outside other areas? Jenny, that's a great question, but we got to take a quick break. Oh, poop. I'm sorry, Jenny, what were you saying? I was just asking uh, if the research and, and the investigating that you're doing is, uh, that Eric is doing, not you, Tressa. Oh, um, thank you. If it's based that. in Pennsylvania or if you're all over the place. Well, with the way that finances are today and the economy is, I stay close to home, so I stay in Pennsylvania. I have enough on my plate here to investigate. If I'm able to travel outside the state, which I've done, I've been up and down the East Coast, I've been in Texas, 
the Pacific Northwest. Uh, you know, I've, I've done some investigating all over the country, but nowadays with everything being so expensive, I stay closer to home because I mean, I have pretty much everything I need right here. Um, Pennsylvania is probably one of the more active states for reported sightings and encounters. We have I saw so the map. The map yeah. is insane. Yeah. It's like, oh, everywhere. That's where they are. Yeah. Everywhere. And, yeah. And we've got a ton of Bigfoot researchers and investigators in Pennsylvania that are looking into things. So it's it's very active here. It keeps me busy. Yeah, I, I noticed that because, you know, sometimes when you hear about it and kind of if you don't know much about it, you think, oh, okay, in, in these huge sort of areas in like Washington and Oregon because it's just so Colorado because it's just so vocal and you don't think to look in Pennsylvania, but that it's comes. all woods in Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. It's so much mountainous woods. Yeah. Driving through it, that's all you get. You know, which is really it's pretty, lovely. It's gorgeous. It is. It really is. Um, have there been any sort of reports or anything in, in your backyard that have been particularly interesting or, or things that you're working on right now that are particularly interesting that you would want to share? Um, we still get cases that have happened uh, close to home. My home range really is, is probably a, a 20 mile radius where um, I've had things happen, not when I was researching, but back in the 1970s. I mean, they were literally right in my neighborhood and within a stone's throw from my house. So there are things all over the place that have happened and still continue to happen in this, this area. I, I have one case I'll share with you that's probably my, my most favorite case and my least favorite case. Because <laughs> nice. It, as you mentioned, I've been investigating for, I started actual field investigating, talking to witnesses, going into the field, investigating probably in the mid 1990s, 96, 97. And I've been investigating cases since then. So I have hundreds of cases under my belt. I've been studying the phenomenon for close to 40, about 40 years now. Um, so I, I have uh, the knowledge for it. I have the field experience for it. And I've investigated hundreds of cases all throughout Pennsylvania and the surrounding states, the East Coast. The case that I'm going to tell you about right now, and I'll try to keep it short because I know we're kind of uh, on a time frame. But um, this was reported to me in May of 2020. And usually people contact me by a couple different ways, email, phone calls, um, social media. And one night on a, a Friday night, or actually it was a Saturday night, I went to bed about uh, 11 30 12 o'clock i was up late and i hear my phone ding and i pick it up my phone's on my nightstand i look at it and there's a message from a person that i know and it says you're not going to believe this and i look at the message and i'm like it's too late to get into this so i put the <laughs> phone down and went to sleep next morning i wake up and um the message is still there and i send a reply and i said what happened and this person replied and said i think i saw a bigfoot and knowing who the person was, I was kind of like, okay. I said, yeah, <laughs> you're probably just pulling my leg, but what happened? And this person proceeded to tell me uh, she's an ambulance driver, a paramedic, and uh, her and her partner were driving down uh, a mountain rural road in southwestern Pennsylvania in Fayette County. It was a little after midnight, and they were heading back to the station. And uh, they're doing about 45, 50 miles an hour down this mountain road. And in the distance, about 125 feet ahead, maybe, uh, they see a tall, dark figure standing on the left side of the road. And they have their high beams on. And in the high beams, they see that it's not a person. It's a hair-covered, dark-from-head-to-toe figure that runs across the roadway in front of their ambulance in three large steps. Goes up an embankment and disappears into the forest on the right-hand side of the road. And um, this person proceeds to tell me, you know, this is what I saw. This is what my partner saw. We smelled a horrible roadkill type of smell. Um, I can take you right to where it happened at. So I got my son up. I said, hey, let's go check this out. There's a Bigfoot sighting yesterday that happened last night at midnight. Maybe we'll find some fresh evidence. So made arrangements to meet the witness and her husband at the location. Uh, my son and I drove down parked on the side of the road and met them and she recounted what had happened. She said, uh, me and my partner were coming down the road. We we're heading you know, on the southbound lane and this thing runs across the road from left to right. It takes three large strides across the road, 
This was not a person. We saw no clothes on it whatsoever. It was dark from head to toe. It was covered in hair, very tall. It was taller than the ambulance, so it was over seven feet. And in the, off the side of the road, up the embankment, and disappeared. So I went and measured the road. The road measured 24 feet wide. And if it took three steps across the road, that's eight-foot stride between each step. A normal person has a three- to four-foot stride, and if they're running, maybe a five-foot stride. That's to have an eight-foot stride, that thing had to be at least eight to nine feet tall. Uh, oh, my God. Look at the embankment. <laughs> On the side of the embankment, there were these large impressions in the grass that went up the embankment into the woods. And unfortunately, there were so many sticks down, leaf matter, clutter on the ground. You couldn't really see good impressions, but you could see where something had definitely made its way up the embankment. And as we're standing there talking and she's rec recounting her experience, we hear two very loud, high-pitched screams come off an opposite hill wooded hillside, probably about a quarter of a mile away. And we just kind of all stopped and looked at each other. And <laughs> we were like, wow, that's kind of unusual. So here we are at the scene where this person had her sighting. Um, there's obviously evidence there that something large ran up the embankment. There's large human-shaped impressions going up the embankment that were about 14 inches. Uh, we heard the, the two high-pitched shrill screams come off the, the wooded hillside to our left about a quarter of a mile away. And uh, the reason this is my favorite case and my least favorite case is because, as I mentioned, for 27 years, I've been in the forest. I've been investigating cases. I have never seen a Bigfoot. But of all people to see one, my sister had a sighting. <laughs> and I hate my sister. Yeah, that's valid. That's I, totally I, valid. I absolutely hate my sister to this day. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I love my sister. But yeah, she, she had a sighting. And uh, her partner corroborated everything that she told me. Um, we had those experiences there. Um, I didn't see the Bigfoot, so I can't say hundred percent, you know, that's what she saw, but her story is very credible. Um, she was, she's still shaken up about what she saw to this day. She still has a difficult time retelling it. So you we do heard, still talk to her, even though she's oh, yeah, the worst ever? Oh <laughs> yeah, I kind of have to, she's family. So, mm. but, um, about a year later, almost to the day, and this is a little side note to that story. I speak at a lot of conferences all over the country and I'm in a, a conference in Ohio, Southeastern Ohio, and I'm in the hotel room. Uh, my buddy, my research partner that goes with me to the events and helps me out, sets the table and up. We're just kind of hanging out watching TV. My phone goes ding. And I look over at the phone. I pick it up and look at it. And there's a message that says, you're not going to believe this. Shut up. And I'm like, oh, I'm really going to hate you now. If you tell me you saw another <laughs> Bigfoot. So I messaged my sister back and I said, what's going on? She said, well, about a mile and a half, two miles down the road from where I had my sighting, one of the firemen at the fire station where we house our ambulances had a sighting on that same stretch of road a mile and a half away. He's willing to show you where it happened at. He's willing to take you to the location and tell you his, his encounter. So I was, unfortunately, I was in Ohio. I couldn't just drop everything and rush back to Pennsylvania. I was speaking at a conference, but we did make arrangements to meet with him. We did. Uh, we investigated where he told us it was about a week later we were able to finally meet him at the site and he showed us and sure enough it's about a mile and a half away from where my sister had her sighting and uh his his encounter was it stormed the night uh, that evening and blew out some power transformers and being a fireman he's driving these back mountain roads to see where the power source might have gone out so he can contact the electric company and as he's coming down this real dark stretch of mountain road the same road my sister had her sighting on he saw a figure standing in the middle of the roadway and thinking it was a person just walking down the roadway. He slowed down, put his high beams on, got close enough to it. This thing turned and looked right at him. Glowing bright red eyes, covered head to toe in dark brown fur, long hanging arms, massive in size. It took two steps across the road, went up a, a gravel driveway and disappeared from sight. And he said it walked about 10 feet behind a road sign, a speed limit sign on the right-hand side of the road. And its head was above that speed limit sign. And when we measured the speed limit sign to see possibly how tall this thing was, the speed limit sign was 11 feet high. What? So what? this thing, yeah, this thing was massive in size, massive in height. He said it was just so broad in the shoulders, it was at least five foot wide. And, oh, and that's, a, that's an amazingly huge animal. And uh, he was very credible. Um, 
He's a fireman. He's been a fireman at that fire station for a long time. He's well known in the community. He really didn't want his name given out because he didn't want people thinking he was nuts. Yeah, but yeah. he had no problem telling this, this story and sharing exactly where it happened at. And, uh, yeah, so those are a couple of most recent um, sightings that I've investigated. So who did your sister know the year after that that saw him in yeah, that same I was area? Say, we just need to, we just need to keep, Let's keep going. going. Yeah, well, that, that was the only two sightings that had happened in that area. Hmm. And um, just from feedback through the fire community, um, through the other paramedics and people in the area that live around there, we began to find out there's been a long history of activity and sightings in that area. So we've been researching that area pretty hard and heavy, talking to people, um, going out there, hiking the woods, camping, spending night out in the forest to see if things happened. And sure enough, we've heard some pretty strange things out there while we've been investigating and spending time in the forest. It sounds like there's a whole Bigfoot community in that area. At least two of them. I'm sure there's way more. That's wild. Yeah, the, the first documented sighting that we're aware of in that area where my sister had her sighting and the fireman had her sighting was in 1931. Oh, wow. So they've been around for a while. They've been seen and reported in this area for many, many years. Now, we've we've heard some theories uh on on why these things are so elusive and why it's so difficult to see them or have an encounter with one do you have any sort of opinion on that and can we hear it um <laughs> I, I think they're very intelligent not the same level as a human intelligence but mm -hmm. they're very curious animals they seem to observe us and watch us and they become familiar with what we do and how we behave and they've probably seen enough hunters in the woods shooting at other animals that if they see us and they have an encounter with us, they're going to be quick to leave the area. They know that we carry guns. We, we shoot and kill other animals. They probably observe us doing things to each other as well that we shouldn't be doing, you know, just typical human behavior. And they want to try to avoid it. And I don't blame them. That's fair. No, I want to avoid it about 90% of the time, too. Mm -hmm. But Yep. I don't like going to the store. I get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's why Bigfoot relies on DoorDash. <laughs> yes. You know, I heard he leaves really good tips, though. I don't, I like don't know. Like a skunk that's here, true. a skunk there. Oh, yeah. 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 He's very generous with dead skunks. Yeah. Dead possum, raccoon. <laughs> yeah. That's fascinating. Now, when you when you talk about like unusual sounds and things, is it is it what we usually hear as like the knockings or the vocalizations and the sort of recordings that we typically hear? Or is it something different, unusual? Like, what's the thing that goes, mm, "That's not right." Well, it's theorized that they have several ways to communicate. Um, the wood knocking is one way. Um, whistling, um, high pitched howls and shrieks. Uh, primate sounding uh, noises such as like uh, whoop calls or something that would sound like a gibbon. And, and there's even people that have caught possible language that have been documented by these creatures. Um, 1973 and 74 in the Sierra Mountains up uh, near Northern California, um, a guy named Ron Moorhead and some hunters recorded these unusual sounds that were attributed to possibly a family of Bigfoot communicating back and forth. Um, they make all kinds of weird noises. And some, some researchers even speculate that they're able to mimic other animals um, and communicate with each other that way, that they're that intelligent that they can communicate. And here we are thinking it's possibly a coyote or a deer or an owl or something like that. And they mimic these animals so well that that's what it sounds like. But yeah, they, they're known to make all kinds of different sounds. I've never heard that they mimic, but that makes so much sense, actually. I could totally picture that or hear it, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are so many recordings where it's like mm -hmm. it's mixed in with other stuff and, and people are just like, no, that's this or this. Well, is it, though? Yeah. You know? Yep. Makes you wonder. With the recordings, some of them, when you listen to them, some of them, when I listen to them, you know, it sounds like, oh, OK, like it's clearly an animal it's clearly just going about its days but then there's others that are just absolutely chilling in like the base of my skull it just it goes oh that is a very large thing that is making a very angry noise have you ever been out and about 
and and heard these things and what is what does that feel like what is that reaction for you for me it's excitement that's what i'm looking for that's what i want to hear and i've had some things scream at me that have vibrated my chest <gasps> uh, i've felt it in my inner core and that takes a very powerful animal with a large set of lungs and to make that kind of a powerful sound I've heard it come off of a hillside one night in southeastern Ohio. I was at uh, Salt Fork State Park, myself and another researcher, and we heard this thing just let loose, and we could feel it. And we were just kind of like, that's one of them right there. That can't be anything else. That's got to be one of them. And we didn't see it, so we can't say 100% sure, but nothing I've ever heard in the woods makes a, a roar scream like that that you feel in your chest and you just got to take a step back and, and it's, it leaves you in, in kind of almost like a, a state of awe and, and you're shocked and surprised and, and excited at the same time. Like, yeah, there's one of them up there and let's uh, if we, see if we can draw him into us. See if he'll come down here and, you know, hang out with us in the parking lot or hang out with us around the campfire, you know, let's see what happens. And, and that's happened on several different occasions. I've heard them here in Pennsylvania. I've heard them in Ohio um, I've heard them in Virginia. Uh, I was in Washington state and we heard screams come off a mountainside that we looked at each other like, wow, what the hell is that? <laughs> but it's exciting. It's very exciting to hear stuff like that. Yeah, I could, I could well imagine. Uh, I was just on this trip and we went to go see, um, howler monkeys. It was like a howler monkey sanctuary and these families all, had sort of uh, cooperatively like gathered up all this land so that multiple families of howler monkeys could live. And, and they've been there for generations and generations. And they sort of communicate back and forth, the humans and the monkeys. And sometimes the humans will mimic the sounds just to kind of get, get the monkeys sort of to vocalize. But I heard one and, oh, that thing got loud. And it just hits mm -hmm. that primal spot in you, and it's exhilarating and terrifying all at the same time. And i that's the only thing that I could possibly compare it to. So as much as I want to hear it, I also am a little bit terrified of hearing it. <laughs> all of the above. All of the no, above. you're looking for this. You want to hear this. Is it fully terrifying when you hear something like that? Or are you like, this is scary, but that's why I'm here and I am fully enjoying it? My first experience way back when, it, it did unnerve me a little bit because I grew up reading the stories, the newspaper articles, the magazines, countless books, watching the old documentaries from the 1970s. And in the back of your mind, you always wonder, are they really out there? And the first time I heard one of these things vocalize, I was like, holy that that's that's what i've been looking for and it really made me take a step back and think okay these things are real you know there, there's something out here making a noise like that and as time went on and i heard them more and more often it, it's more exhilarating like okay there's one up on that hillside that's what we're looking for let's see if we can't get them to come down here you know it's it's thrilling for me it's an adrenaline rush and I've had other people with me who've never had an experience that have heard it for the first time. They've had the same reaction. Like, what was that? Well, that's what I've been looking for for 27 years. And now you're getting to hear it for yourself for the first time. And some people, it just messes them up so badly that they don't want to ever go back in the woods again. That oh. thought of something that large and massive being out there, that's enough. They, they're done. They won't ever go camping, hiking, hunting, fishing. They're done. Nope. Uh, I'm, me, I'm, I'm, I'm out there the next week. You know? Yeah, I'm with Team GTFO. No, thank you. No, I'm yeah. with Team Let's Go. I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you kind of bring up a point there of just like what that does to your world perception. You know, you hear about these things and it's all very academic, you know, and, and maybe imagination based when you're like me who hasn't heard them in person you know so i can think about it i can hear the recordings but it doesn't really resonate with anything when you first started hearing them did that open your mind to the possibilities of maybe 
other cryptids or or other things that were just on the edge of is it there is it not well sure i mean it's the case of you have to see it to believe it or hear it to believe it you know you read about it you study about it you try to educate yourself about it and there's always that thought in the back of your mind like i said do these things really exist you know am i wasting my time you talk to so many people that have claimed they've seen them you know, there's something to it, but until you have that experience for yourself, there's nothing that's going to convince you that they're real until you have that that first encounter experience, and it can change your entire perception. It's like legend and lore walk off the pages of myth into your reality, and once that happens, there's no going back. It, I'm a, I'm a junkie when it comes to it. I've got to have more. I've got to see the footprints again. I've got to have another experience. I, it's it's like a bad drug. You just want more and more and more and more of it. And you want to, I want to eventually see one of these things for myself. I haven't seen one yet, and I hate my sister because she has. <laughs> but um, I want it, I want that experience. I want that sighting. You know, to validate everything 100. Um, percent I've heard them. I've seen the footprints. I've talked to hundreds of very credible people. I know that they're experiencing something. They're seeing something. I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard something to know that there's something out there. I'm just waiting for that one moment where it steps out behind the tree, crosses the road in front of my car, comes into the campsite where I'm camping, whatever the case may be. I want to see it, and then I can retire happy and be done. I don't think I'm ever going to forget that phrasing of that myth and lore walk off the pages and into your reality that's, that's the face you life, made right well, i know it was just pure joy <laughs> just a thousand percent joy all right so when are we going looking that's <laughs> actually we need to wrap up so why don't you tell us about the bigfoot camping excursion i don't remember what it's called exactly i'm sorry <laughs> that's okay um sure it's called the pennsylvania bigfoot camping adventure and it is for novices and the general public who want to learn about the subject matter. They want to learn about uh, Bigfoot from experts who have been in the field researching, investigating. Um, they want to learn from workshops, hands-on workshops, how to make a plaster cast if you find a footprint. What kind of tools and techniques to use when you go in the field. It was designed, this is our fourth one coming up in September. And it was designed back then to kind of give people the chance to go looking for Bigfoot and learn from people who do it and have that experience, have that adventure um, of getting their feet wet into the subject matter. And it's like an outdoor festival. People can camp um, at the campgrounds. And incidentally, the campgrounds where we've had it now for the fourth year, uh, the fourth event um, is in a Bigfoot hotspot. That's where there's been numerous sightings over the decades so people have the chance to camp out and maybe even hear something in the woods that night or maybe find a footprint while they're out hiking. And we give people the opportunity to go out on night hikes with us as well on Friday and Saturday night. They can walk <laughs> in the woods and have that experience of being out there in the darkness and listening to the sounds of the forest around them. Who knows? They might have a, a glimpse of something big and hairy running through the trees, but it gives people that opportunity. We put this event together as a charity fundraiser so that we can raise money at the event and donate it back to some local area charities. Uh, this year we're donating to an animal shelter and to a group for uh, that uh, helps underprivileged kids go to camp. Every, every year event that we've done the past four times has been for charities, uh, raising money and giving back. So it's kind of helping the community in, in twofold, you know, getting people out there that want to learn about the subject matter. And, and we not only have experts who research it, but we have, uh, we have a skeptic coming in this year who absolutely does not believe in Bigfoot. And we're, we're going to hear from him why they don't exist. So we get a well-rounded perspective on the subject matter. People can camp. They can enjoy all the vendors, talk to all the speakers. We have a couple of celebrities coming in as well from a couple of the popular Bigfoot TV shows. It's going to be a fun time. We're raising money for you know, the local charities, giving back to the community, and everybody has a blast. And that's what it's about, to enjoy the subject matter, learn what you can, and take from it what you can as well. You know, just asking for the audience, but there are still <laughs> tickets available to this, right? Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. No personal the interest there whatsoever. <laughs> the website is pabigfootcampingadventure.com. 
Uh, tickets are very affordable for the the full Friday Saturday weekend. They're fifty dollars. Oh. Uh, for just Friday doll Friday they're twenty five. For Saturday they're thirty. And uh, we're gonna have speakers on both days. Uh, and there's speakers from all over the country coming in. The guest celebrities uh, like we have the guys from the TV show Mountain Monsters are gonna be there. Expedition Bigfoot. The proof is out there on the History Channel. Ken Gerhardt's gonna be there. Uh, we have workshops. As I mentioned, they can learn how to make a plaster casting if they want to, uh, and they learn from uh, one of the other workshop presenters how to, uh, what tools to bring, what equipment to use, research techniques. We'll have food vendors. Uh, there's going to be, it's for the family, so they can bring their kids, spend the weekend, camp with us, um, learn from some of the best in the field, and to have a good time doing it. We will have a link up to that in our show notes and to the uh, Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society. Society. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> yep. uh, but we got to go because Jenny is already packing to get to this camp trip and she cannot wait. <laughs> yeah. She's uh, filling you her know, pockets with rocks. It'll be the perfect ending to our summer, Tressa, after we go visit the Olympic National National Forest. What's that? See the rainforest at Ho. I'm just saying it'll be a nice, oh, nice ending this to the summer. Yes. Just saying. Oh, and don't forget that our website is now live too. Okay. Yeah. Just, I'm, <laughs> hey, everybody! I'm our website's live. Because I forgot earlier. That's okay. It. All right. You guys, everybody, rate, subscribe, uh, review. I guess I don't know. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us. Goodbye. No one else. Okay. Oh, goodbye. <laughs>